Amen. Let's pray, guys. Jesus, we love you so much. And we thank you so much that you do reign, that you are sovereign, and you do all these things, and that you deserve all the worship. You deserve all the glory. You deserve all the worship inwardly and outwardly from us. And we pray that even tonight we'll be able to do that with our intellect, to see you, more so clearly through your word. So we pray that you would bless your word tonight and bless us just to be here to receive it. And we pray to your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So tonight we'll be in 1 Timothy 1 to 2. And it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true God, in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, I still hear that anthem in my soul that you reign. And to hear many other voices around the room saying that together, that our God reigns. What a glimpse of heaven. And oh, we pray that the truth of that would truly be made secure and solidified in our souls so that it wouldn't merely be a chorus to a song that we sung, but mindfully and heartfully understood and experienced. That even now, in whatever season we're in, whatever we came into this gathering tonight with, whatever trials or issues or struggles or good stuff or junk stuff that we're all possibly walking through, that in the midst of all that, you reign. You're in total control. And that you are causing all things to come together for the good of those who love you and are called by you. That even now in your sovereign reigning rule, you are orchestrating all of this, uh, these relationships in this room, in this church, from long-lasting members to visitors and friends to those who've been checking us out for a few months, all of us here in this place, you uh, brought us here to seek you and find you, though you're not far from each one of us. And so, Jesus, God in heaven, would you do something mighty and miraculous right now, once again in this place. Don't let this just be another midweek. 
Let it be a time, an evening, a day where we come and touch heaven together, seek Christ together, get into the word of God together and be transformed by it. I ask that you'd awaken hearts and minds that might be slumbering right now and that you would grab and keep our attention. Thank you so much for the songs sung. Thank you for the prayers prayed and the scripture read and now as we bible study help us to get deep into the word and by your grace put the word deep into us we love you lord thanks for bringing us back again for a new series a new book um, a new fresh breath of scripture breathe into us now we pray in christ's name and all god's children said amen The title of this text or this message on your notes is A True Gospel Relationship. Let's pray one more time. Two verses. But let me say this to you before we pray. If you believe, do you believe that the word of God, all scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable? Do you believe all scripture? Do you believe even two verses, these two verses, just the introduction of a letter has the ability and the, the, the trajectory to absolutely rock your world tonight. Could it be? Let's pray. Awaken us. Awaken me. Help every human being to get out of the way and allow the word of God to speak. Thank you, Lord, for a new text. Help us to listen, learn, and by your grace, live these things out in Jesus' name. Amen. Show of hands, who collects letters? Okay. Actual letters like this. I know we're kind of getting beyond the, hand, the days of handwritten letters. I like handwritten letters. If you collect letters. All right. And these, typically I would assume these are the ones you cherish. Right? They're the special letters. You have a, I have a special box of all of my Samantha letters at home. Right? They're the type of mail, it's the type of mail that you get excited to receive. You guys have those? If you don't, for those of you who don't collect letters, do you, if you don't collect letters, are you, is there, do you have a typical type, uh, a type of mail that you get excited to receive? Yes. <laughs> Paychecks. <laughs> um, you know what, I, um, I even have a box of letters from members like yourself throughout the years, um, you know, in all my years of, as a Christian, I kept letters, and they're not always just letters of encouragement. Some of the letters that I kept are letters of, of real admonition, strong letters, letters that had tough stuff. And I have a box for that. I have a box for my Sam and all her letters to me. It's my beautiful wife. And I have a box for, you know, all the letters from brothers and sisters in my life that were written to me to encourage me, to edify me. Um, you know what I don't have a box for? Is spam mail. Well, actually, let me take that back. I do have a box. It's called the trash can. Right? All the junk mail, the advertisements, the, the credit card stuff, you just kind of, uh-huh, right? Now, I bet when you're thinking of those special letters, I bet they carry more weight, you know, in the variety of the, that box of letters, if you have it, certain letters will carry more weight based upon the relationship of the correspondent, right? Um, I have a special box for me and my wife. Why? Because that relationship is different. It's deeper, right? 
And I bet even in those special letters, what makes it more even weightier in its matter might also be the occasion that the letter is being written, right? I mean, I get text messages from Sam all the time, but on certain days of the year, like birthdays or anniversaries, the text message is a little bit more what? Weighty. You know what I mean? So, so the relationship between the correspondence from the writer to the recipient and the circumstance of when that letter is being written, all of that adds gravity to what is being written. Does that make sense? All of that adds a lot of gravity. So I told you already, 27 books in the New Testament, 21 is letters. And all these letters are written from specific people to a specific person or persons in specific occasions. And all of that has gravity to it, big gravity to it. We're about to begin a new book. We're about to read someone's mail. And unless you know who's it from and who's it going to and why it's being written, you and I will not know the depth of the gravity of this letter. This is a special letter. It's special because this is a special relationship. It's special because this is a special relationship, but also in a special, specific time. There's a serious situation going on. But I would say, and you guys already brought it up in observation time, that what makes this letter most special is that it is inspired by God. Meaning, this letter is not only weighty in 62 to 64 AD from Paul to Timothy, but it's weighty in that it also has relevance from God to us. It's inspired by God. So this letter is written word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable for teaching, repute, correction, and training up in righteousness. So I, I do pray that as we kind of get into the introduction of this, that you tonight, if you've not really pondered or thought about it, you'd always come to your Bible, and sometimes we take it for granted, but anytime you open up the Bible, and right now, the two verses, the letter that's in front of you, it is the Word of God. So we're not just reading someone's mail, and we're getting some juicy insights on someone's mail. No, this is Word of God. In 62, 64 AD, it's just as relevant for them as it is for us today. So I really want to encourage you. We're going to work our way slowly through this introduction so that way it'll set us up for the rest of the book. But just to start off on that note, we are getting into someone's mail. And this is serious mail. And so here we go. We're going to look at tonight... By way of introduction, who's writing this letter? We'll talk about that for a bit. Who's he writing to? And why? We're going to need to get some cultural, historical context, and that'll be helpful for us. But I hope to still give you a sermon from these two verses. And then we'll be powerful tonight. And then we're off to the races for the rest of this letter. So let's begin. And we'll go slow. You know how we do. Well, before we get 
in. Let's go even slower. Let me give you some epistle background, okay? Epistle is another fancy word for, anyone want to take a guess? Letter, very good. An epistle. So when you consider formatting, okay, I don't talk like this, all right? I was terrible in English in school. But when you consider Greek, Roman world, this time when everyone, someone would format a letter, this is how it's typically written in Hellenistic letters. There's three parts and three purposes, okay? The three parts is this. There's an intro, there's a body, and a conclusion. All right? Simple. Okay? Intro, body, conclusion. Now, the three purposes of when people would typically write letters is this. One, to share important information. Okay? The second is to either request a superior to do something or to instruct a subordinate to do something. So, share necessary info, important info. Two, request superior instruction or instruct a subordinate. And then the third purpose is to develop and deepen that relationship. This is typical, normal, in this time, how people would write letters. I say that because we don't write letters like that nowadays. Right? This is not modern text messaging that we're, that we're reading. Okay, this is not, hey, bro. I mean, look at how he talks. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God. Right? And we're, we're pausing to wonder, why is he starting like that? Is that just how they used to talk? No, there's purpose. There's reason. I would not want you to text me like this. Okay? I don't want Bra- Bra- Brandon showing, father of Hannah. I mean, husband of Hannah, father of seven, deacon of New Honor Baptist Church. Hey, Chris, what do you want for lunch? No, don't start text messages like that to me. Okay? But this is how typically text messages, if you want to use that terminology, were sent back then. In this time, in this Greek-Roman world. And Paul, this is why in much of his letters, he formats like that. He's writing like the people write. He texts like everyone else texts. But we got to understand and, and, and pick, and, and I just linger on this a little bit. There's important information. The, 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 the order of the names is important. Because, you know, if you're talking, um, if you're trying to communicate to a superior and you're a subordinate, you always make sure you put their name first. Why does Paul put his name before Timmy? Why does he, hey, Timmy, it's Paul. But why does he always go, Paul, Timothy? There's reason. It's him saying, it's putting a note, I'm coming, I'm communicating to you with an authoritative tone right now. Why doesn't he start the way he started to Thessalonica? Paul, Timothy, Silas, blah, blah, blah. Why doesn't he start the way he started to, to, um, in the, uh, the letter to the Philippians? Paul, a servant. Why start with his name and then why this big, grandiose label to begin the letter? I give just a little, why does all that kind of formatting background mean or matter? Why am I making a, a little bit of a big deal about it? Because when I first read it, with my own eyes, I thought, it sounds like Paul's getting a little taunted on. Doesn't Timothy already know he's an apostle? Why you got to say it? Is Paul flexing his spiritual muscles? Just in case you didn't know, Paul. 
an apostle of Christ Jesus. No, but the command of God. What, what is Paul doing? Is he puffing himself up? Is he trying to, or, or is there a, a specific reason? I think this is important, guys. These details, even the, the naming, the positioning, the titles of why he drops the A-bomb to call himself an apostle. And let's just talk about that, that term a little bit. An apostle is, a, in its general sense, it's a messenger in its broad sense, but in its peculiar sense, a messenger of Christ. These are eyewitnesses of the resurrected Lord. These are men who are appointed to, to teach and write with authority. Apostles were official reps of Christ, delegated by Jesus himself. One who was to give specific revelation from the risen Lord. In short, when he drops the A-bomb, when he pulls the apostle card, he's saying, I'm an inspired author, Timothy and all who read this. So I'm just pausing to wonder, why you got to start like that? You and this guy go way back. Why didn't he start off with, Yo, Timmy, what's cracking? Or Timothy, it's Paul. Why this big, epic, epic title? Well, it's going to give light as to why he's writing and what they're going through. Remember back, I'll read it. You can turn if you want. In Acts chapter 20, when we studied through Acts chapter 20, Paul's talk, talking to the Ephesian elders. He planted this church, and he tells them, Boys, pay careful attention of yourselves and to all the flock to which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And care for the church of God. I just want to hear that heart right there. Paul's telling the leaders at this church that, Tim, that he's writing to, you're overseers of the church of God. He obtained it with his own blood. And then he says this, I know after my departure, fierce wolves are going to come in among you, not sparing the flock, not literal wolves, but metaphorically. From among your own selves, here's the wolf, arise men who speak twisted things and draw away disciples after them. Here's the thing. Here's the picture of what's going on in the midst of the text message. Paul, this pastoral, caring heart who loves these Ephesian people, and he loves the men there. He loves Timothy. He said, when I leave, there's going to be these wolves that are going to come in around here. They're going to mess with this family. And they're going to be teaching twisted things, false sayings. And it's going to mess you guys up. Paul foresaw this coming to pass. And here we are reading the letter. It came to pass. And so now, what's he doing? I'm writing a letter. And he's writing a letter, and he's starting with an authoritative tone. What kind of authoritative tone? To, to make it very clear up front, I am a true messenger of God. Not these like these wolves. What I'm about to say, you guys got twisted things floating around here. But what I'm about to say I'm dropping my, my apostle card because I want you to know you can trust this. What about, what's about to come out of my mouth? This is trustworthy and true. We have to see that, though, at the outset of this letter. He's not just texting, hey, how's it going? 
He's just talking to play games. Guys, this is serious stuff. He's concerned for the souls of those in Ephesus. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 to 15, this is important when we start this letter because this gives you the whole purpose of the letter. You can look at it. It's not too far. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 to 15. So now paint this picture. Paul, this pastor, this, this father's heart, his family is being attacked by wolves and there's false teachings going around. And so what does he do? I'm not there, but here we go. Verse 14. I hope to come to you soon. You hear that? If I could be there, I'd come through. But I'm being held back right now. I hope to come to you soon. But I am writing these things to you. Why? So that if I delay, if I don't make it, if I die, to me, if I can't get through, here's why I'm writing this letter to you. Here's the gravity. That you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. If I can't make it, if I die, if I don't make it, I want you to know how to live as a Christian church. I want you to know how to grow in godliness together the way the Lord Jesus told us to do it, not the way these wolves are talking. You see that? Not how the world defines what church is, but how Jesus defines what church is. This is a big, important letter, not just for pastors. It's for all of us here to know how do we grow in godliness together? What is church really supposed to look and feel like? Because this church right now is all kapakai. And they got all these bad teaching going around. And that's what's fueling Paul. I got to write this letter. And I got to start like this. I'm an apostle of Christ by the command of God. Please. This is truth. Listen. True messenger. Brothers and sisters, the Bible you have in your hands, this letter, inspired scripture, is of infinite value. It's all sufficient, infallible, perfect, it's pure, it is the word of God. And Paul is writing in this fashion so that Timothy and anyone else who hears this letter knows just that. Oh, this is the truth. That's why he's starting this letter the way he's starting now, before we hurry off to talk about Timothy, let's talk about Paul for a little bit. Let's just, for those of us who weren't with us through Acts, let's not forget who this guy is and where he came from. Who was Paul? And Saul, 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 sinner. That's what I heard. Exactly. Let's not forget where he came from. Philippians 3 says he was a persecutor of the church. Acts chapter 9, this is a man who breathed murderous threats at the church. Can you imagine how many times when Paul wrote in his letters, Paul, an apostle of Christ, how that must have struck his heart? Paul, the former persecutor, now an apostle. Let's just not forget these things. This letter, man. Paul was so depraved. 
He used to breathe murder down anyone who followed Christ. His heart was so hardened to who Jesus was. Just think about that for a moment. This is the man who's writing this letter. How can someone who's so vile, so hardened, so far from Christ, now be an apostle of Christ? I'll tell you, he tells us, by the command of God. I love that phrase. Not by the command of a man. Not by my effort, not by my scholarly ability, because Paul was a scholar. Not because of his, his religious record, but by the command of God. By the word of his power, not only Jesus holds up the universe, but he commands blind people to see, deaf people to hear, dead people to rise, and souls to become Paul. Just by sheer reading of the name writ, uh, of who's writing this letter, by sheer of th that fact, it's, it's just like, it's so mind-blowing. 1 Timothy 1.15, he writes this later, we'll get there next week. He says, Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost. This guy was the worst of them all. What should that do for you, church, right now? Because I wonder if there are people in the house right now, you think of your life and where you've come from and what you've done, what you've done this week, what you're doing tonight and still, it should do this. There is hope in God. Christ can save the uttermost. He took a man like Saul and made him into Paul. And now Paul, an apostle of Christ, is writing to his son in the faith. He's planting churches, and he's making disciples all to the glory of God. I read something like this, and just by sheer fact and information of who's writing this, I am stunned. And I am re-encouraged. Because if God can do whatever he did to a local boy like me, to make me who I am today, he did, he's doing it here, turning Saul's to Paul's, he's doing it right here. 1 Corinthians 1, he chose the foolish to shame the wise. He chose the weak to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised so that no human being would boast in the presence of God. This is why Paul says, I'm all this. It sounds grandiose, but it's all by the command of God. 1 Corinthians 15.10, it's by the grace of God I am what I am. You believe that? You believe that today, tonight? It's by the grace of God we are who we are. I love this stuff. Don't let your past hinder you from coming to Christ in the present. Some of you I just met tonight, I don't know your history. I don't know where you're coming from, but you're reading a letter of a guy who's got a bad history and a lot of baggage, and you're reading right at the outset of this letter, he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. Don't let your past hinder you from coming to Christ in the present. And don't let what the world defines you as confine you from what God has called you to be. If any man be in Christ, behold, the old is passed away and the new has come. Guess who wrote all those things? That's right. 
Okay, let's move on from Paul, this true messenger of God, this once chief of sinners, now true messenger. And he's writing in his letter to Timothy. Timotheos, Timmy. His name means one who honors God. I like that. Do you like that? I just want to let you guys know this man, this young man lived up to his name. His first appearing came on in the pages of Scripture in Acts 16. Here's what we learned uh, from that and, and hints in 2 Timothy 1.5 about this young man. He was a third-generation Christian believer. All right, third-generation meaning Grandma Lois was holding it down. She was of the faith. Just a shout-out to all the grandmas and grandpas in the house who are in the faith. Oh, man, I really shout-out to you guys. Because what you do in caring for our little ones is powerful. Grandma Lois passed on her faith to her her daughter Eunice, who then passed it on to Timothy. His father uh, seems to be a non-believer. just mentions that he was a Greek and that no faith was passed on from him. So you got to imagine this young guy, Timothy, third-generation believer, counseled in the Bible from grandma and mommy. And a word to the children who have grandparents. And parents who know Jesus, when you go to bed at night, you thank Jesus for your mommies and daddies and your grandmas and grandpas who talk to you about Jesus, who read you Bible stories to sleep, who sing you Jesus music. Because Timothy, the letter we're reading right now, he was one of those young boys growing up. And now he's being mightily used by God. But anyway, so a little bit more about this young man. Uh, He's mixed plate in his ethnicities. Brada is Greek and Hebrew, a Jew. All right. Uh, Raised in the church. He had a good reputation among the believers in his community. And when Paul was traveling through in Acts 16 to Lystra, he noticed Timmy and he's like, I want this guy to come with me. And he took him along. Some scholars say he was possibly in his 30s, so he maybe looked like this. I've read some scholars say he's probably in his 20s, so maybe he looks like this, Michael. And then I've heard some commentary say he's probably in his teens, so then he'd look like that, Isaiah. Right? But what we do know is Brada was young. Yes. I love that. And that's important to note here. It's important to note these, these, these figures and put real life flesh on them. Because when I was talking about Paul and describing his, his stature, his upbringing, he's a scholarly Jew, very well educated, very And then there's this young Greek, mixed play, fragile framed boy. It should be hard to imagine how these two would ever even get along. It should be Weird to imagine that Paul would call him a son. I bet if you were to bump into Paul or Timothy earlier in the book of Acts, either one of them, if you're just walking around, you bump into them, and you were to tell them, hey, one day you're going to call him your son, and one day you're going to look at him like a father, they would be like, no way. It's marvelous. It's really neat. It's really cute. But so here we go. Paul, 
to Timothy. So have that picture of this guy in your head. And then he says this, my true, opposite of true is what? False, fake. This is for real, for real, right? Gnosios, legitimate, genuine, technon, child, son. It is a word of offspring, one's own child. So Paul is describing his relationship to Timothy like a father-son relationship. Philippians 2, he says he's a son with a father, like a son and a father we've served together for the gospel. Paul became a spiritual father to this young man. It seemed to be what Timothy lacked in godly manhood from his earthly father. The Lord supplied through Paul. Do you hear that? That's huge. I think that's so huge for us to hear because there's so much scenarios like this today. But that's so neat to see. Young people here. And when I say young, that could be broad. Teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever. I look at this, I read this, and I wonder, do we have that? Do you have that? If you want that, God will provide that. Spiritual father figures, spiritual mother figures. God brought that to Timothy. Let's move on. My true son, my true child. Now here's a phrase. In the faith. Pistis, faith, to trust, to believe. Well, what is that though? What does that mean, my true child in the Faith, what is he talking about? What, what faith? Is, is Paul being, you know, Timmy boy, my man. You know, and I, ever since I came through Lystra and I took you along with me and I told you forget circumcised, you was down. And then after you got circumcised, we went on journeys and we took a lot of U-turns and you never, you never left. You were loyal. And then I started having all those crazy dreams about Macedonia and, you know, you were down. You were faithful to me, Timothy. You stuck by my side all the way through. So you're my true child in the faith. Is that what Paul is saying here? You know, we use that phrase a lot. That's why in Christian circles, I hear that all the time. People text me that. I'd say almost once a month, not just in this church, but other people, you know, oh, yeah, bro, I stay struggling in my faith. I just like growing my faith. I'm falling away. I just want to, you know, my faith, my faith. What faith? What does that mean? What does it mean here when he says, you're my true child in the faith. How would you answer that? I'm going to ask you straight right now tonight. Are you a child in the faith? How would you answer that and how would you define that? Because I'm curious, what is Paul talking about here when he's talking about Timothy? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 to 15. Paul writes this, but as for you, speaking to Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have firmly, here it is, believed, Pistis. So he had to learn something to believe, knowing from who you learned it. That's from grandma and mom and from him. And how from childhood you have become acquainted with the sacred writings. Sacred writings. So you learn something. You learn something from sacred writings, which is scripture, which are able to make you wise 
for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's what it means to be a child in the faith. That's the faith that he's talking about. Timothy needs to learn something. He needs to learn something from the Bible, the word of God, of who Jesus was, is, and what he came to do. His life, death, resurrection, that's what grandma believed. That's what mom Eunice believed. And that's the Jesus Paul believed. So when he's saying, Timothy, you're my true child in the faith, it's because you believe in the same Jesus I believe in, your mom believes in, and your grandma believes in. You believe in the same Jesus that we went on those mission trips and risked our lives for. When he says, you're my true child in the faith, you believe in the same gospel as me, Timothy. And so I wonder and I ask the question, are you a child in the faith tonight? Because I wonder if many of us here thinks to just be a child in the faith is just to come to church. Or is just to know someone who goes to church. Or it's just to know someone who says they have faith and you grew up praying before you ate food. So you're in the faith. And when your life is all cup of kai, you just say to yourself, I'm struggling in the faith, in my faith. See, why I stress and draw this out is because even in the last part of this intro, what Paul is trying to make very, very clear is I am a true messenger and I am your father figure in the faith. You are my true child my true son in the faith, and this relationship exists because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the type of letter we are reading here. That's why as he keeps flowing, he says then to Timothy, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, and Tani pointed this out, our Lord. He wants to make very clear here, final final point, that this is a true gospel relationship. And I just wonder in this room, if you have that. I hear people in the church talk about all the time, yeah, so-and-so is mentoring me. I'm looking for a mentor and this and that. I'm looking for my Paul. Well, what is that? Not just someone who's going to give you some life hacks and tips and tricks for good living. But someone who's going to love you enough to keep pushing your nose back into the book. To keep bringing you back to the, to the foundational truths of the Bible and the gospel. This is the type of relationship that we see corresponding here with Paul and Timothy. That's what it means to be my child in the faith. And so I've been praying for a lot of us leading up into this service tonight. That if you lack that, that by the grace of God you would desire that and look for that. Another way of saying this is, are you being discipled? That's just a straight way to say it. But what we're seeing it now fleshed out and modeled in this relationship is what true discipleship relationship looks like. I love that Victor pointed this out. It's not merely just boss to a coworker or, you know, some pastor distant to a member, but it's like family. Father to son, grandma to to grandchild. This is family. And I don't say that just on this sentimental, warm, fuzzy note. Because, you know, you guys all get families. And tell me or not, you get along with your family all the time? Exactly. No. When we say we're the family of God, it's not just like, oh, family of God. It's like, yeah, we're the family of God. And we're going to be with each other through thick and thin. And when there's crises going on in our life, like how Timothy's going through, I'm going to write to you. Because Paul's about to tell Timothy some hard instruction, warnings, and some deep admonitions. 
some tough truth in love. But Timothy's got a Paul figure like that in his life. Do you, do I? Think about it. Pray for it. Desire it. You don't have to look far. It could be right here in this room. So Paul writes this letter out of great concern. And it's just just a wild thing to me as I'm imagining this, that these two could ever end up together. And he finishes his introduction here tonight, and he says, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace, charis, it's unmerited favor. It's an undeserved gift, Romans 3. It says, all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we're justified by his grace. We don't deserve it, but he gave it. Ephesians 2, by grace you've been saved through faith. Grace grace is God's to give because he's holy. It's ours to receive because we're not. We sinned. We deserve judgment. But grace was given at Christmas. And the greatest gift to all mankind, his precious son, that was grace and mercy. Mercy, eleos. It's compassion, pity. It's not getting what you deserve. You see the difference? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. The wages, what what do we deserve? The wages of sin is death. But Ephesians 2, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even though we were dead. He made us alive together with Christ. And then he says, by grace. That's why Jerish is bringing it out. Why does Paul always do this? Grace, mercy, and peace. But I love this because it's so deep. And I love the order. It's got to be grace, mercy, and peace. Because if you don't understand and believe and receive grace and mercy through Jesus, you will never know peace. What peace? Ephesians 5, uh, Romans 5, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace. Tranquility. Free from worry. Free from war. Local people, we be... No worries. That's peace. If you can really say that in your soul, no worries. You will never know that peace until you first understood the grace and mercy that comes through Jesus Christ. That's why he starts like this. It's so deep and rich. But I just want to point this out to close that he closes like that because he's showing us Man, this relationship between Paul and Timothy, it's a true gospel relationship. They're forged together by the same grace, mercy, and peace from the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see that? Remember I was talking earlier? There's no way these two would have thought they would be together. How is that possible? The grace and mercy and peace that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. I always say this, I say this a lot, but you know when we're nearing our 80th anniversary picture, we're going to take, this Sunday actually, in here, so don't run away, we're going to take a picture with our church family. We do it every five years. In the hallway, there's our 75th. But if you look at that church photo, go out there and ask yourself, what brings all these people together? Go out there, look at that church photo, and you know what, there's someone in that photo that's invisible that you can't see, but he's very present. And if that invisible person was not present in that picture, you know what I'll tell you? That picture would not exist. That person is Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
If you took Jesus, I love that Gabe pointed this out. There's Paul, he's writing to Timothy, and there's all this Jesus around. If you took Jesus out of Paul and Timothy, there'd be no Paul and Timothy. If you took Jesus Christ out of this room, we would not be here. That's the truth. That's true Christianity. And if we're going to grow in godliness together, church family, we're going to need true gospel relationships. I'm going to bring it to a close, and I want to devotionally ask you to think about a few things. Actively pray, and I say that on purpose, actively pray and look for spiritual father and mother figures. We're about to get into a nice, meaty letter of how to grow in godliness together as a church family. And right at the beginning, the two main characters of this letter is setting an example for us of what a true gospel relationship looks like. Actively pray and look for spiritual father and mother figures. Actively pray and be willing to pour your life out into others. And I would encourage you, maybe a practical way to maybe get kick-started on this. You know, I don't just walk around the church and, you want to be my spiritual father? You know, <laughs> Would you like to be my Paul? Hey, hey, come here, come here. You're my new Timothy. Let's go. Don't, no, don't do that. You know, um, even though it, when you read Acts 16, that's kind of what it looked like with Paul and Timothy. He's like, coming through Lystra. You, come, let's go. You know, <laughs> but I'm sure it was a little bit more smooth than that. Um, but try this. First, that's why I say actively pray. God is so good. I wonder if you're here tonight because a prayer like that somehow was fashioning in your heart earlier this week. You just, I want to, I need to, I really do need to grow my faith. I really need to get back to God. I really do need to just walk with the Lord. I've been so distant and far, and by the grace of God, you're here at a church. But that's not it just yet. Continue on that prayer and say, Lord, would you place a, a mature brother or sister or someone in my life that would just run alongside with me, ask me the hard questions, help me to get into the Bible, actively pray for that. I'm begging you, if you truly want to grow in godliness, we all need that. We all need that. But then also be willing to be used. You might be thinking, well, I ain't Paul. No, well, Paul would say the same thing. I ain't nothing special. I'm only this by the grace of God. I am what I am. You got so much to offer me. Let God flow through you. And I trust this as we continue to go through this letter and stuff, as we grow in godliness and see these principles from this book and want to learn and apply those natural gospel relationships that will be there, that's how we're going to flex it out. So we'll bring the introduction to a close. We'll pick it up next week. But doesn't this now make sense, knowing the context, as to why, right out of the gates of this letter, what is the first thing Paul wants to talk about with Timothy? False teachers. Because that's what's going on. Paul, Timothy, listen, serious talk right now. I love you, but hey, this is what's going down. So let's pause, let's pray, we'll sing our way out. But as you chew on those, those, those things... Um, really, uh, a practical way I would encourage you to look for those spiritual father figures, mother figures, or those discipleship relationships is try to just offer prayer for people at church or ask for prayer. Just try that. When you come to church, 
Don't be content to just come, sit, listen, leave. If there's something really going on, just ask a brother, ask a sister, hey, you can pray for me. Or you notice someone's a little hurting, hey, I can pray for you. And as you pray together, see what happens. All right? All right, let's, let's pull and we'll close out. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for um, your word. Thank you for our time together. And I pray that as we have begun now this new series, this new book study in this letter, and as we've looked at Paul and we've looked at Timothy and we looked at how you beautifully brought them together, we pray and we believe that you are doing the very same thing here and now among us. So make us family, Lord. Thank you for the cross of Christ. Thank you for your blood. And as we sing, and as people even are praying now and seeking, would you give, even in our community here, a greater level of transparency and depth and a desire to grow together in this way. And so lead us and um, do a mighty work now, Lord, in us as we grow together in godliness by the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Please stand as we uh, close in one last song. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer, greatest treasure of my longing soul. My God, like you, Thank you.